Hello, Tim Williams here. I'm the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Thanks for choosing to listen to one of our archived episodes from our early days of launching the show. Although I love the overall content of these episodes, I will say the recording quality was not always the best as the show was still evolving and I was learning to record and edit pretty much on the fly. I believe the sound quality and editing has improved from season to season, so be sure to check out more great episodes in our more recent seasons. I hope you enjoy this episode and that it rekindles all those warm and fuzzy nostalgic feels. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Pasta there, Pedro. Bats. They are sick. I cannot hit curveball. Straight ball, I hit it very much. Curveball. Bats are afraid. I asked Jobu to come. Take fear from bats. I offered him cigar in Rome. He will come. You know, you might think about taking Jesus Christ as your savior instead of fooling around with all this stuff. Ah. Jesus. I like him very much. He no help with curveball. You trying to say Jesus Christ can't hit a curveball? Okay, Harris, let's not start a holy war here. <laughs> Wouldn't leave a rum sitting around out here with this group. <laughs> Very bad. Still, Jobu's wrong. He's very bad. Hello movie viewers and movie lovers, my name is Tim Williams and I'm your host for the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast, where we talk about all the great and sometimes not so great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter what flick we choose from week to week, we'll have a lot of fun sharing memories, discussing our favorite scenes, and even learning some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. So let's jump right into today's episode. Thanks for listening. When you think of great movies about Major League Baseball, there aren't too many to choose from. Bull Durham was all about the minor leagues. Field of Dreams was about ghosts of former players meeting on a cornfield in Iowa to play again. The Sandlot and Bad News Bears were about kids and their love for the national pastime. 
had a league of their own in the natural captured baseball, but baseball of the past. In 1989, only one film was able to capture Major League Baseball in modern times, and that film took the long-suffering Cleveland Indians all the way to the playoffs and took Major League, the motion picture, to become a bona fide hit movie for baseball fans everywhere. So we're talking about Major League from 1989. I'm here with Mr. Charlie Cotter, first time as guest co-host, but uh, he's a sports fan. He's never seen this movie before today, so it's going to be real fun to talk about, so... Welcome, Charlie. Tell everybody hello. Hey, thanks for having me, Tim. I'm excited about talking about this. Oh, good, good, good. I was like, oh, please, I hope you didn't hate it. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I definitely didn't hate it. All right, so this was your first time seeing it, so go ahead. We haven't we haven't talked about this before. The podcast is all fresh. So what was your first impression? First impression was it was good. Um, the What took me off guard were uh, the language was a little rough. And, yeah. Um, <laughs> I actually watched it with my grandmother. (laughs) (laughs) What are you watching? (laughs) So that made it a little rough at times. Looking back on it, this was like 1989. So the language was bad, but if this was made today, it'd be, you know, four times worse. So yeah, it was bad, but it could have been, it could have been a lot worse. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, even for me, like I, I didn't see, I think I saw the TV version probably Mm. the most before actually, I mean, it was probably years before I saw the unedited version right. and actually hear some of the language and, mm-hmm. and some of the stuff in it. So it was, sometimes it's funny because like back then, like, you know, way back when, and Charlie, to how old are you? I'm 25. Okay. Yeah. So this is way before your time, but like back then when VCR is really popular. <laughs> yeah, I remember VCRs. <laughs> so like I would record movies on VCR, like if a movie was coming on TV, I'd record it on a VCR tape and then I could just watch whatever I wanted. Right. And so there are certain movies where I've seen the TV version so many times, I go back and watch it now. It's different because I remember the edited, like some of the phrases and things they say instead of what's, you know, the cuss words and stuff, whatever. So it was funny watching it again because it's been, oh, I'd watched it like two years ago. Uh, I'd been to a Braves game and was thinking it had baseball in the brain. And I was like, man, I haven't watched Major League in a long time. And I found it and watched it. Even then, I was like, man, I don't remember all this language or all these certain scenes. And so it's funny to go back and watch it. And like you in your mind, they should be saying this and they say something totally different. It's like, uh, and yeah. so, uh, so it was just interesting that way. And it was funny because I think it was on, they were playing it on like AMC or one of the regular cable channels, mm-hmm. like edited. And I almost watched the edited version just to see mm-hmm. how different it was. And I may watch it again, but, uh, right. yeah. anyway, so, uh, but yeah, so you enjoyed it. I did. Uh, it was a, a good baseball movie, obviously, and a good comedy, um, there were a bunch of a bunch of parts I thought were really funny that probably weren't even supposed to be funny. I, just, <laughs> I find the little things, just like the little nod here, the little oh, yeah. nod there. Well, go ahead and talk about some of those. What are you um, thinking about it? One of them, I can't remember the exact quote, um, but they're talking about uh, play and catch with their son, or he, I think the son was uh, batting practice and the father was pitching, and he was like, yeah, my son was so bad, I should have just hit him with it. Oh, yeah. and, uh, so I don't remember the exact quote, right, and it's right. much better delivered like that. But right. uh, it was <laughs> it was just, it was classic, you know, I picture dads back then just, you know, <laughs> if there's someone to play baseball, okay, go stand over there. I'm yeah. going to peg you a couple times, and then, and then we can actually start playing. But, um, and there were a few more here and there that I hopefully can remember the actual quote. Yeah. When we get there. It's a little fresher on your mind. You watched it this afternoon. I watched it last night. So I, you know, I remember certain things like 
uh, going back and watching the trailer today, um, kind of helped me remember some things. But mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it, it, it's a fun movie. So we'll talk a little bit about how I got started. So um, and this is like the first movie we've done on the podcast that's not from a well-known director. Like everything we've done, not on purpose, but like everything we've done before has been you know big-time directors. Of course, we started with Spielberg, the biggest of them all. Mm-hmm. You know, like John Landis and. Uh, Carl Reiner, Rob Reiner, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Harold Ramis. So, I mean, we, we've covered some some big names. But this is a guy really didn't know much about. But uh, David S. Ward, um, who's a writer-director, um, he actually said this came from being a long-suffering Cleveland Indians fan since he was five years old. And when Major League premiered in 1989, the Indians had finished a season within 11 games of first place. I'm sorry. The Indians had not finished a season within 11 games of first place since 1960. And that's what inspired the film. Ward said, I felt at this point, if the Indians were ever going to win anything during my lifetime, I would have to write a movie where they did. And obviously, given their futility at that time, it had to be a comedy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I I saw the same uh, little, you know, trivia thing here and there. And it was just that, you know, he was a longtime suffering fan. Yeah. Just like... uh, we know all too well, but, uh, <laughs> but just a long-term fan, um, and then just never saw the light at the end of the team's tunnel. Yeah. So he was like, "All right, well, I guess it's in my hands now." Yeah, I mean, really think about Cleveland. Cleveland really, until LeBron came with the Cavaliers, I mean, they were really a suffering city. I mean, mm-hmm. the Cleveland Browns are, are still trying to become a yeah. decent football team, uh, but the Indians have all. I mean. I remember back when I collected baseball cards as a teenager, like Indians card Indians cards are not ones you were really looking for. Right. right. <laughs> there were any players <laughs> right. there. So so the whole, you know, of course the whole premise is, you know, the the new manager, the um, the widow of the owner, I guess, uh, wants to tank the team so mm-hmm. they can so she can move them to Miami. So uh, her name was Rachel the character's name is Rachel Phelps. Well, it's uh, her character and her plan to move the Indians was inspired by real-life Minnesota Twins owner Calvin Griffith. In the 1970s, during the planning stages of constructing the Metrodome Stadium, Griffith had negotiated for an escape clause in the team's lease, which said that if the Twins' home attendance was under 1.4 million per season for three consecutive years, the team would be released from its contract and leave Minnesota. Like Phelps' character, Griffith let quality players depart via free agency and use cheap, inexperienced rookies and has-beens. The Twins lost 102 games in their first year in the Metrodome in 1982, then 92 games the year afterward, with attendance under 900,000 in each of those seasons. A group of investors from Tampa, Florida, bought 42% of the team, and the Twins were on the verge of moving to Florida. To many fans, it appeared that Griffith had weaseled the escape clause into the contract and set up the roster so he could put it into practice. The situation was avoided when Griffith sold the Twins to banker Carl Polad. The Tampa group sold its minority stock to the to Polad, and the Twins remained in Minneapolis. So, I guess you pull from what you know. He was probably a longtime baseball fan too. Mm-hmm. So, right. Um, and I think they said this in the movie uh, when they wanted to move to Miami, and it's like, yeah, Ma- Miami, you've got the beaches and the sun. You know, who wants to live in Cleveland? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, right. You know, especially compared to Miami. So. Right. Right. I don't know. I, I don't do heat as well. So, yeah. Um, although Major League is something of a love letter to Ohio's second largest city, very few scenes were actually filmed there. Early on, the producers realized it wouldn't be easy to shoot a movie at Cleveland's Municipal Stadium while working around the Indians and the Browns' schedules. Because back then, they both played in the same field. 
Uh, let's see, he said, we were shooting late in the summer and the Browns were already playing preseason games and there were football lines on the field all the time and it didn't look really good. Ward told, it's what Ward told ESPN. There were also some union issues in Cleveland, so we decided to go to Milwaukee. So, uh, so yeah, so they shot, they did shoot, shoot some exterior shots in Cleveland, but pretty much all the games and, you know, uh, even the restaurant I think they were eating at was in Milwaukee, um, as I was reading and find out. So it's kind of funny. It's a movie about Cleveland, but everything's filmed in Milwaukee. So any of the, so let's talk about the cast a little bit. So anybody on the cast that, that stood out to you? I mean, I guess Charlie Sheen and Wesley Snipes are probably the biggest, right. more current stars. But anybody else that you right. recognized? Um, or I recognized the uh, the third baseman. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Um, Corbin Burnson? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I've, uh, I probably couldn't tell you any movies that he's been in, but I, but I know the face and I know the name. Yeah. Um, and then I want to say, oh, and then you've got um, the uh, <laughs> the voodoo, uh, <laughs> yeah. Mr. Uh, State Farm, Pedro, yeah, yeah. Pedro. So uh, yeah, so Mr. Mr. State Farm, yeah, Dennis Haysburg, um, safe driver, save fifteen percent. That's right. <laughs> so um, and then he was also Mr. President, yeah, uh, <laughs> twenty four. Yeah, yeah. That, that's. I mean, honestly, that it's funny because. I hadn't. I did put that together when Twenty Four was out. That was my first time really knowing him as a character. Mm-hmm. And then going back, I think it was on TV or something like. Sure, I was like, oh my gosh, that's the same guy. Right. Yeah. And he's totally different. I mean, much you know, twenty years younger at oh, that yeah. point, uh, just about. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then. Uh, Other than that, um, I didn't really. Um, and then um, Rene Russo, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. Other than that. I didn't know too much of the. But you cast. weren't a big Tom Berenger fan before this one, right? No. <laughs> like, who was that? Yeah. <laughs> he was. I, I know he, the name. He was in Inception. That might right. help you a little bit. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. It was his most recent, but he was a yeah. He was a pretty big star in the eighties. I mean, I'm, I can't say he was like a huge box office draw. He made a he made a good number of movies. Probably like, uh, probably know, I probably know more movies that he made after this. Kind of late. Well, you know, uh, early '90s, he did a couple of like thrillers, and mm-hmm. um, he was in a really good movie, which is hard to find. I want to do it for the podcast, and it's totally side note, but um, it's called "Shoot to Kill," and it was him and Sidney Poitier. I've heard of it. Yeah, and it was really good. Like I remember seeing that in the theater, and I've seen it many times. And then I was trying to find it a couple of years ago, and I couldn't find it anywhere. But I found it under a different title, I guess internationally, right. it was released under a title, and I found it on YouTube. I was able to watch it on YouTube. It was a very bad copy, but yeah. I still got to see it. But he was really good in that. So that's so seeing in him seeing him in a comedy is different because most of his other roles he did mm-hmm. after that were much more serious. Okay. So um, yeah, so uh, the film is notable for featuring several actors who have gone to stardom. Uh, Wesley Snipes and Rene Russo were relative unknowns before the movie was released, while Dennis Haysbert remained best known as Pedro Serrano until he portrayed, as I said, U.S. President David Palmer on the TV show Twenty Four. Uh, the longshoreman who is occasionally seen commenting and is shown in the final celebration inside the bar is Neil Flynn, who later achieved fame playing the janitor in Scrubs, is where I remember him from, and then Father Mike on the TV show The Middle on ABC. This was Flynn's first credited movie role. So, um, and there are several major league players that were actually losing the movie as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you know it. He's probably before your time, but... Uh, <laughs> 1982 American uh, League Cy Young Award winner Pete... Vukovic as Yankees first baseman Clue Hayward, uh, former Milwaukee Brewers pitcher Willie Mueller as the Yankees pitcher Duke Simpson, 
known as the Duke and former Los Angeles Dodgers catcher Steve Yeager as third base coach Duke Temple. Uh, and I think he actually doubled for Tom Berenger in some of the behind mm-hmm. uh, the behind the catcher shots right. to uh, get some more um, realistic shots of him yeah. throwing the ball. Right. And then former catcher and longtime Brewers broadcaster Bob Euchre played the Indians broadcaster Harry Doyle, probably my favorite character in the movie. Yeah. Um, the names of several crew members also used for uh, peripheral players. But you don't know, Bob Euchre was also a big TV star back then. Mm-hmm. He was on Mr. Belvedere, if you've ever heard of that mm-hmm. show. Uh, a few of the Major League stars had at least some baseball experience under their belts. Tom Berenger uh, had played the game in high school, as had Corbin Burnson. Meanwhile, Chelsea Ross... Um, who played Eddie Harris, the older pitcher, suited up for Southwest Texas State's team during his college years. Hmm. Then there was Charlie Sheen, who pitched as well as a teenager. And he once received an athletic scholarship offer from the University of Kansas. Yeah, so they, they were all, you know, had some, some baseball experience. I think I was reading one thing we were saying that he really wanted to be realistic. I mean, he right. was trying to, you know, I mean, let's think about it. This is, your dream is to see your favorite team win the pennant. You're going to make a movie about it. You want it to look as realistic as possible, okay. <laughs> even though it's yeah. a comedy. And so uh, I think that, that's, that's pretty cool. Like, I think Charlie Sheen, they said he was already pretty good. Like, he could throw, like, an 80-mile-an-hour 80, 80 mm-hmm. fastball mm-hmm. Uh, already. Yeah. Um, of course, he also admitted to taking steroids to get it to 85 <laughs> yeah. uh, much later. <clears throat> so uh, good old Charlie Sheen. Always yeah, got something uh, to yeah. say that you don't yeah. really want to hear. <laughs> so uh, any of the characters, like... Which one's your favorite? I mean, it's kind of more of an ensemble kind of movie, but anybody you kind of thought yeah. was your favorite? Um, uh, you know, Charlie Sheen was was good. Um, yeah. And he's, his character was very good, you know, that, that bad boy mm-hmm. uh, type. Um, and then the... My dad always says this, you know, in, in every movie you need that love story. Yeah. Um, and so... Uh, I'm blanking on his name again, but the catcher, Tom Berenger, Tom Berenger, yeah, yeah. and uh, Rene Russo. That that love story yeah. was obviously not the main the main focus of the movie, but it was good to have. It was yeah. good, you know, to get away from the comedy and have that. Um, which I actually read that uh, they had a. It was Rene Russo and the other guy that she was going to get married to. Yeah, uh, they actually had that in the movie, mm-hmm. but then they deleted it because they wanted. Because then it made it look like it was a Tom Berenger and Rene Russo love story right. that just kind of had some baseball. Mm-hmm. They wanted it to be a baseball story that right. just kind of had some romance in it. Um, so I thought that was a good decision to yeah. leave that out. I think it helps to make it more of a well-rounded story. I mean, mm-hmm. if you just focused on baseball, I mean, there's, I guess, a lot of stories to tell. <clears throat> I think if I had, like, going back and watching it this time, I think the one kind of subplot that to me just didn't really fit or just felt really out of place was the whole um, Corbin Burnson and Ricky Vaughn. Like, I mean, they had yeah. their, they already had their kind of, mm-hmm. uh, uh, what do you call it? banging of heads or, you know, clashing of personalities. Right. But then the whole thing with his wife, when she saw him, yeah. she saw him cheating and then she goes and sleeps with Charlie Sheen's character. Yeah. And then it's like, but what did that really accomplish? It just, yeah. it is like, it, I think it was supposed to build some tension for that last game where he was trying to avoid him. And, and then, then just completely yeah, slip kind of, it under the rug. Right. Like, well, let's not do this. Right. So I was like, that really didn't make sense. And I think, yeah. honestly, probably the first couple of times I saw the movie, I didn't even realize that was his wife. Like, I didn't even understand yeah. how that even right. worked. She wasn't in the movie enough to really know who she was. So right. she changed her appearance to mm-hmm. kind of seduce uh, yeah, Sheen. At, so. at first, because she had the weird hairstyle, hair yeah. I thought, okay, is that just... 
her sister or something because mm-hmm. it didn't look like her, but right. it was it was very very strange. Yeah. So and that yeah. When I was first watching, I thought that um, that that was going to come back up in the last game and that he was going to because they talked about it earlier. He dropped the ball or yeah. he, he purposely oh, yeah, messed yeah. up, and I thought that that's what was going to happen again in the mm-hmm. big game, and he was going to you know and um, so. And then they were going to go to extra innings and whatever. So, <laughs> so I thought that I thought that that was going to come back to bite them, but they kind of didn't do anything with it. They just swept it under the rug. Yeah, like I said, it was. It seemed like a. It seemed like an added scene that you really didn't need. Like they could have, they could have resolved their kind of uh, personality clash a different way. Like I right. didn't feel like that really. Yeah, need then, to be there. And then he just punched him in the face, and then they were. Yeah, fine. yeah, we're, we're fine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hey, we won the game, so it doesn't matter. You know, it takes me to the uh, Batman v Superman. Martha, my mother's <laughs> name was Martha. You oh, know? you mean the worst ending <laughs> yeah. in movie history? Our right. moms have the same name, yeah, so was, let's just every, stop. We're all, are we best friends now? Yeah, we're good. Okay, we're good. Let's also team up in a little bit <laughs> yeah. and take like, on this greater threat. Right, that makes right. perfect. That sense. we both didn't really know about <laughs> until just this moment. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we digress. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, like so I talked about, you know, Bob Euchre I think was was awesome um, as the uh, announcer Harry Doyle. Oh yeah, uh, and so he was, he was so funny. Just yeah, constantly uh, pouring the the booze in the cups, and then like, and then he like rubbed it on his neck. Yeah, <laughs> he improvised that scene. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he said he wanted like he wanted him, people to know that his character loved whiskey so much he wanted to wear like a perfume. Right. Um, which I'm sure I missed this in the edited version, but I, I, I like the line where he's like, you know, he kind of cusses and the guy's like, you can't say that on the radio. He's like, ah, nobody's listening anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, was, that was a good Yeah, that was good. That was, that was one of my favorites. And of course, the just a bit outside. I mean, that's, I've heard that forever, but. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that was great. So he, and actually he was, so he did improvise a lot. Um, and. Ward, the uh, ride director, said he wanted Bob Euchre from the beginning. He said there was never anybody else for the job. I said, get me Euchre. I don't care what it takes. We've got to have him. Um, he contributed ad libs that were sensational. Ward actively encouraged Euchre to make up his lines on the spot. Uh, Euchre said, David, let me go. Um, he said, I want you to be Harry Doyle. Say whatever comes into your head. Before the cameras started rolling, Euchre would be given general directions about whatever topic Doyle was supposed to be prattling on about. Then he'd improvise the actual dialogue. Uh, Euchre said, most of it was stuff I heard guys say in dugouts and clubhouses, like the line about the Pete Vukovic character leading the American League in home runs and nose hair. Ball players <laughs> rag on each other like that all the time. <laughs> so, uh, so that was great. I, thought, I just yeah. thought he was so good. Um, and I think he comes back. There, there's a sequel, the second one, which is not as good. The third one was horrible. Um, but I think he's back for the, for the second one mm-hmm. uh, as well. But, uh, but yeah, Charlie Sheen was definitely the he was kind of the breakout star from this like he really yeah. this really kind of uh you know put him out here that he became like the big star from this movie that's why the sequel really focused on his character so right um and the sequel is rated pg so it's a little easier mm-hmm. to easier to, to, yeah, to take. grandma <laughs> yeah grandma might like that one a little bit better yeah oh uh, yeah so uh i think the funny thing is i think after i watched major league one a couple of years ago i went ahead and watched major league two like kind of back to back or the next day or whatever Mm -hmm. and I was like man this is so much it's just not as good as the first one so
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Talk about some favorite scenes. Any any scenes stand out to you that you... I mean, this isn't one of those, you know, pull at your heartstrings kind of a yeah. movie where you're just like, oh, yeah. this scene that moved me the most. But like, any, why don't we talk about like iconic scenes or scenes that just like... Well, a little different for you is your first time seeing it, but like for... Yeah. Like, uh, I, I didn't really... I wouldn't say iconic scenes, but just scenes that I that stuck out to me, I guess, when uh, all the baseball players start showing up and... Uh, uh, Charlie Sheen comes, you know, pulling up on a motorcycle and yeah. he just kind of, you know, dabs the guy up and then he walks away. And right. then Wesley Snipes comes up in this uh, Beatles slash Rolls, Rolls Royce. Royce. Yeah. <laughs> uh, such a such a Wesley Snipes thing. Um, and then I, many things. <laughs> and then I don't know what car it was. Um, I, I wish I did. It it looked like the Cruella Deville car. Oh yeah um, yeah yeah. That uh, Behringer pulls up in. Yeah, the old timey, yeah, yeah, yeah. old timey car. Um, uh, yeah. Actually, Corbin it wasn't. Behringer was just in the normal. He came car. in a cab. Yeah, yeah. Um, Corbin Burnson came with his golf clubs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that, that was pretty good too. When, yeah. uh, um, Pedro takes yeah. the uh, <laughs> keep bats warm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's one of my that, favorites. Yeah. That whole thing was so weird, but it was it just added to the story because it was so funny. Yeah. And just there's always that one person. If you're in a group, there's always that one person where they're just. Yeah, they're weird. Just, <laughs> they just let them do what they're yeah, doing. Yeah, just, you know, don't talk about it. Right. But, um, yeah, pulling up, I, I, I like old cars like that, mm-hmm. um, especially when you have a, a mashup of a Bug and a, a Rolls Royce, <laughs> you know, luxury on one end and, you know, mm-hmm. bottom of the barrel on one. So that was a, so that was a cool scene. Yeah, so actually it's, the, it's a VW Beetle with a Rolls Royce grill, replacement trunk and hood ornament. The elegant Beetle, quote-unquote, kit, as one was called, was popular in the mid-70s and mid-80s until Rolls-Royce sued a company responsible for one of the conversion kits. Uh, it's also referenced in the 1978 Cheech and Chong movie Up in Smoke, so that mm. gives you a little background. But, yeah, um, I remember that. And then I saw something, too, where when he drives away and he's waving the green mm-hmm. cloth, like I was like, what is that I thought that, was, I thought that was weird. And they said that was actually a sign for the guy on the motorcycle to come. Like, it like got, uh, kind of a bad edit. It got left in the movie. Like, yeah, that was yeah, his yeah. scene. Like, I'm leaving now. Time for you to come in. Right. So I thought that was, was kind of interesting. I really enjoyed, like, the most funny scenes, I think, to me, is, like, when they all show up for camp. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the scene where they take Willie Mays out. Like they come in the middle of the night. It's like, here's the guy that did not here for camp, and they take him outside. And he wakes up and he hears him play. It's like, I get cut already, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he takes off running, and you know, mm-hmm. get the man a uniform. So, yeah. and then uh, all the Joe Boo stuff with Pedro mm-hmm. um, just makes me laugh. Oh yeah. Uh, and my my favorite one is when uh, Pedro has like the actual snake. And he's doing a little ritual <laughs> yeah. on the on the locker to not get the red tag. And then you see Wesley Snipes, the little bitty, you know, like garden snake. And yeah. he's like trying to do the same thing. And then he kisses yeah. the snake. It's like, ah. <laughs> um, like all those, all those scenes really make me laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, you know, I enjoyed 
I mean, it's not a built up. I mean, I'm sure I built it out laughing when I watched it as a kid, you know, much younger. But it still has some good chuckles, uh, some some good laughs to it. So, uh, so those are good scenes. Did you know there was an alternate ending to the movie? I did not. Oh yeah. So, well, there's actually two scenes that. Well, there was a scene that was cut at the end. I think you might have uh, alluded to this earlier. So they actually had a a wedding scene for Jake Taylor and Lynn Wells, which was Berenger and Russo. Right. uh, That was shot and to occur after the Indians' victory over the Yankees in the end. But it was deleted because the producers felt the wedding scene would put the focus of the movie more on Jake and Lynn and not the team, which I agree with that. So, oh, yeah. But the big alternate ending, which I think they say you can – there's a special edition DVD out there that has it on there um, that shows uh, – it's basically asked the question, if Rachel Phelps, the Indians' ex-showgirl owner, wanted the team to stink, why didn't she just fire, fire her manager or send her best players down to the minors or cut the club's rising stars – the theatrical version of Major League never explains this glaring plot hole, but there's a deleted scene that does. In the original script, the Indians manager confronts Phelps right before the huge playoff game against the Yankees. Calmly, she reveals that she secretly cares about the club and hoped they'd win all along. Moreover, Phelps claims to have personally scouted all the players except Hayes, whom she called a surprise. They all had flaws which concealed their real talent. Or I wouldn't have been able to get them, Phelps tells the manager. But I knew if anyone can straighten them out, you could. And if you tell them all, any of this, I'll fire you. <laughs> the scene was shot and incorporated into the first cut of the film. Once test audiences saw it, they didn't react well to the third act twist. By the movie's end, viewers had come to love hating Phelps. So oh. in accordance with their wishes, Ward and producer Chris Chesser deleted the owner's redemption scene. This forced them to reshoot parts of the final Yankee sequence. Footage of Phelps cheering on the Indians was hastily replaced with new clips that showed her sneering, cussing, and most memorably, criticizing Vaughn's entry music. <laughs> so, I thought that was interesting. I, I, I don't know which ending I would have liked better, I think. Yeah. It's tricky because yeah. every, every story, every movie, every book, every everything needs a <laughs> villain. Yeah. Um, and so, she was a really good villain. Yeah. You know, she yeah. was, you know, she's... She's everybody's boss. She's, you know, she's making, she comes, there's that one scene where she comes in and she's, you know, laying down the rules and mm-hmm. uh, half the guys are naked. <laughs> um, and it's just, you know, she, Which, she's, a, she's a good bad guy in that sequence. Yeah, so oh yeah, yeah. If there were, the, I definitely can see why test audiences might not have liked the, oh wait, hey. Yeah, I was good the whole time. Yeah, it was all an act. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I could see that. I mean, it's an interesting twist. I think, like, probably on paper, it probably worked. Yeah. Just to kind of, you know, let's do something different. Everything mm-hmm. else is what you'd expect right. from this type of movie, so let's do something different. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it didn't, didn't work as well. Yeah. So I'm trying to remember, because I don't think she's in the, sec- the sequel, like how that, like I could see that working for, like, if they really wanted to set up for a sequel, like have her become the good guy. Yeah, And yeah. then you have a whole different, you know, maybe somebody comes in the second one and they're no. the real bad guy. Mm-hmm. She's like, no, don't do that. So, right. um, in real life, that's a good story because you need that, you know, oh, well, I'm, I'm on your team the whole time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as far as a movie goes, you, you need that. Yeah. You need that bad guy. I think she, yeah, I think, like, like I said, she played that evil role really well. Mm-hmm. Um, all her sneering and stuff as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But yeah, the scene where she comes in the locker room and they're all like, you know, mostly naked and she's, I mean, everything she does is offensive to every one of those players. <laughs> like, she touches the top of Wesley Snipes' hair, like patting his hair down, and mm-hmm. then she slaps Pedro on the butt, his bare yeah. butt, and then she, and then she like, she like hit 
Tom Berenger a sore shoulder. Mm-hmm. I'm like, lady, we, you know. Yeah, stop. Yeah, it's like harassment 101. Yeah. Yeah. This would not work in today's HR department. Back then, probably going to get away with it. So, uh-huh. but, uh, but yeah, so, but it did well. It made $11 million. Uh, I'm sorry. It was made for $11 million and grossed nearly $50 million in domestic release. It released on April 7th, 1989, and Major League was number one at the U.S. box office in its opening weekend, beating out Michael Keaton's ensemble comedy, The Dream Team. Um, it stayed at number one for two weeks, and it became in number 23 for the top grossing movies of 1989 between Working Girl and Beaches. So interesting two movies to be sandwiched hmm. between. Wow. <laughs> so, but the top grossing movie for 1989 was Batman. Yeah, so... Uh, but it's done well, you know. Like I said, it's still well beloved. Uh, currently on Rotten Tomatoes, it's got an 83% tomato meter with an 84 audience score, which I think is pretty, pretty good average. Um, and then IMDb's got it at 7 to, 7.2 out of 10 with a 62% of Metacritic. And as we learned, Metacritic is always way lower than it should be. Oh yeah. So, but um, what do you think about those? Uh, I'm. IMDb makes sense. Um, yeah. I, yeah, if I were to grade it 0 through 100, it would be 70-ish. Yeah. You know, it was good, and it has that rewatchability. Yeah. But yeah. It, it didn't have any of those moments where I busted out laughing. Right. Um, it didn't have that, you know, the, like I said, the love story was good, but it wasn't that, It wasn't yeah. great. It, so it was, it was a good movie, absolutely. And I will definitely watch it again. But it's... It's not, yeah. yeah. It's not Batman from. No. Back then, you know. <laughs> There's a reason it's 23rd for the year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, like I said, it's it's pure nostalgia for me because, like I said, I mean, when that came out, I was a huge baseball fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, I was actually living in Maryland, um, and so I was following the Baltimore mm-hmm. Orioles at the time. Cal Ripken Jr. Um, that was back when Cal and his brother Billy were playing, and his dad was the third base coach. Mm-hmm. So. Um, that's what you went. They were not a great team. That's what you went to the ballpark to right, see. Right. You know, I collected baseball cards. So I was a little bit more uh, heavily, you know, following baseball at that time. So it kind of, you know, it it hit all those feelers for me of like just being a baseball fan and mm-hmm. you know just it was. I mean, I'm a I'm a I love sports movies anyway. So in any kind of you know Rocky story, the underdog story is gonna is gonna work well. So oh, yeah. and then it just being a comedy and having those you know. The Pedro character was so so great. Uh, even Willie Mays Hayes, you know, Snipes' character, are you know those you have those outrageous kind of characters, and then you got Corbin Burnson, who's just like the straight yuppie. Just mm-hmm. you know, I'm only here for the money, and he's watching his uh, you know his uh, uh, Wall Street Channel on, on cable yeah. when, when <laughs> they're there, and then yeah. you know Tom Berenger's there to kind of be like the everyman, the, the mm-hmm. just the regular guy that just you know. Loves the game and just wants to keep yeah. playing the game. That's right. Um, so I think you had a good mix of those type of characters. So, um, but I'm like you. It's like I, it's not one that I'm like. When I went to look at it, I was like, I could have bought it or I could have rented it. I'm like, uh, it's not really a purchase for me because yeah. I will probably watch it, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna want to watch it that many times. Right. So uh, it's one that like, and it'll be on. Like I said, it'll be on TV. Like like I said, it's mm-hmm. it's currently running on TV, especially right now. When there's no sports to watch anywhere, so right. I guess any sports movie on TV is worth watching. Um, but it'll be on one of the streaming services mm-hmm. ar- around uh, again too. So, um, but yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I remember looking through channels uh, right when all of sports was canceled, 
and uh, I was just going through it real quick, and I saw major, and I saw major league. Yeah, and I was like, oh, cool! I didn't know baseball was on. <laughs> uh, and so then I clicked on it, and it, yeah. it was during a commercial, so I didn't right. actually see any of the movie. Um, but then I was like, well, it says there's uh, only 45 minutes left, so I don't think it's a game. <laughs> I don't think they can predict. They can that. predict that, yeah. But uh, so yeah, so but yeah, it was it was definitely a, a good comedy it I don't think it would have worked out as anything other than a comedy right um, the story wasn't good enough to be a drama or an action or anything like that no um, so definitely a comedy and I think that they as far as the comedy goes I think they hit it pretty well on the head because all of their jokes landed now, like we said earlier, none of them were just super funny over the top. Right, right. But I didn't think that there were any jokes where it was like, okay, that was a little too far. Or, yeah. Okay, that oh, just, yeah, yeah. That just wasn't that good. So the, the comedy was constant, mm-hmm. but constantly good. Yeah. It's, it's more of a one-liners kind of comedy. It's yeah. not a lot of physical comedy. I mean, you right. have the one shot where after uh, was the older pitcher drinks Jobo's rum. Yeah. He gets hit in the back of the head with the bat, right? Um, and then you know, come with a fly ball kind of stuff. Or the guys, mm-hmm. the three guys running Twitter in, in the outfield, not calling. You know, it's my my right. ball, whatever. Which you've seen a million times in a million other sports movies. So mm-hmm. there was nothing. They weren't reinventing the wheel on that one. But but like I said, I think I'm glad it wasn't a drama. It didn't need to be. You know, remember the Titans or, yeah, or the Natural. A feel good story. Yeah, something like that. I mean, it, it's. It's still a feel-good movie, but it's lighthearted enough, and it's just it's kind of goofy enough to enjoy. Right. It, I mean, once again, it's a great summer movie, and that's what we're kind of highlighting yeah. during the summer. If you want a good summer movie, you, you know, miss watching baseball. I mean, I think it's definitely worth pulling out and watching. And I would even say I would still watch the second one just because you've still got the main cast. Uh, mm-hmm. Wesley Snipes didn't return. Right. Um, actually, he turned down uh, one of the things I saw. He turned down a role in Do the Right Thing. Uh, to be in this one, right. and uh, and then when he turned that down, I think uh, Spike Lee got him for two other movies, mm-hmm. Mo Better Blues and something else, yeah. Jungle Fever, I think. So he's probably making those movies, so he didn't come back. But then right. uh, some other some stars you'll see in the second one that you made. Randy Quaid is one of the crazy oh, fans, okay. uh, which was funny because I started I was like, "Isn't Randy Quaid in this one?" So and then I was like, "No, he must be in the second one." So right. he's one of the crazy fans in the back of the in the back of the stadium okay. and then Omar Epps takes over for Willie Mays Hayes oh, okay. and so but Wesley Snipes is so much better like right. that's yeah. that's the biggest kind of that's what really drags mm-hmm. Major League 2 down is right. switching that role because he's just number one he looks 10 years younger <laughs> than Wesley yeah. Snipes right. so and it just doesn't he, he tries to carry that persona but uh, but really Charlie Sheen becomes the focal point of that mm-hmm. one it's all about Kind of him, um, he becomes so famous after you know he becomes the breakout star. Right. So of course the next season, he's like everybody wants to be like him, and right, so him right. getting caught up in the fame, it's kind of that kind of story. So, um, and then the third one is back to the minors, and Corbin Burnson is the only one that uh, comes back for that one. Mm. But then he's with the Minnesota Twins, so he's trying to duplicate what they did with the Indians with the right. Twins. So right. and. I don't think I've ever seen that one all the way through. <laughs> I couldn't finish yeah. it. It's just not. It just it's not not that good. But uh, supposedly there's a fourth uh, a fourth sequel that's been in the works. Um, let's see. 
I got it written down here. So a possible third sequel, Major League Three, which was to ignore Back to the Miners for good reason, I'm sure, was reported in 2010 to be in development by original writer and producer David S. Ward. Charlie Sheen, Tom Berenger, and Snipes would return with the plot revolving around Ricky Vaughn coming out of retirement to work with a young player. In 2015, Morgan Creek Productions announced the sequel was still in the works, but nothing has been said. I think I read outside of that was, um, I think, a couple of, like 2017 or 18, 2018, I think, um, somebody was trying to like movies and making them into TV shows mm-hmm. so there was in the list of like uh, I think Young Guns Morgan Creek Young Guns uh, Major League and something else they were going to try to kind of bring them back bring them back as TV shows right. instead of movies this would definitely work as a TV show I think oh yeah yeah because one, one of the quotes or no it was a uh, it was a real life thing when they um, were walking out there to film the final game um I forget who exactly it was, but they, they walked out and the, the stadium was full of 20,000 people. Yeah, yeah. And uh, one of them started getting emotional. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, it, it's like this times 162. Yeah, how many times you have so a game, yeah. if you have 162 games, you could – the story worked, but mm-hmm. you could obviously fit so much more into a TV show. Oh, yeah. More behind the scenes and that. Well, look at this. When you, this was like an hour and 45 minutes, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's probably an hour – 35 hour 40 with credits right um but you had to you had to squeeze all the spring training and a full season uh into into that time frame so mm-hmm. to think about kind of spacing it out and kind of following them through a season would have oh, yeah. been better because you actually see the development of them getting better and then the relationships getting getting built bigger then it would probably be more of a comedy drama at that point because you have more time to to create the story create the relationships yeah. you have you got to fill out that with much more storylines yeah. but um, I, it could work it'd be interesting oh, yeah. I don't think it'd be tough to duplicate that season after season because yeah, you're yeah, going to yeah. have certain players that right. like, once you once you reach there then it's going to be tough to to you know can't start from the bottom every season <laughs> right right yeah one of my favorite well, actually my favorite TV show ever is only a one season thing because mm-hmm. it's just one of those couldn't do two seasons right um but i do i do remember this quote um is when they first called um lou brown or uh yeah uh, they charlie charlie donovan and lou brown are talking mm-hmm. and uh he's like um how'd you like to manage the indians this year oh yeah it's like yeah. gee i don't know it's like what it's <laughs> yeah. the major leagues how do you how do you not know and he's yeah. working at like a tire store yeah. yeah it's like i don't know i got a couple of customers i could have some a set of four walls next week or something like that yeah, yeah i love and his voice is so iconic like oh, i loved yeah. him as a character and i think it just his voice was so awesome mm-hmm. and i'm like surprised i haven't seen him in really much of anything else besides that i didn't even you know, dig into his uh, filmography to look what else, what else he's been in. But that's definitely his iconic role. But yeah, that that uh, that drawl and that, that oh, yeah. just the tone of his voice was is awesome. Yeah, I, mean, mm-hmm. oh, I don't know. I, I have to call you back. I got the other on the line. Yeah. Come and get it too. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's, yeah, he's got that just a good classic nostalgic voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Good deal. Well, we're gonna wrap it up. But I appreciate you, Charlie, for coming and. Uh, Thanks for watching this movie for the first time. <laughs> you got it. I'm glad you did this. It was it was good to... I'm glad I watched it. Oh, yeah. Well, good. Good. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. 
If you'd like to continue the conversation, we have a few ways for you to do just that. One way is to send us an email to movieviewspodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice message to the Anchor app. You can find the link to leave a voice message in our episode show notes. If you do leave us a message, we may just use it in an upcoming mini-episode. Another way to reach us is through the new 80s Flick Flashback Podcast Facebook page, as well as our Movie Views Instagram. Also, be on the lookout for our next mini-episode. Each mini-episode offers some fun segments about the previous full episode, and we'll also introduce the next 80s flick we'll be watching and covering in the next episode. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a five-star rating, leave us a stellar written review, and go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you won't miss any of our upcoming episodes. No matter which podcasting platform you're listening to us on, be sure to read the episode show notes to find more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into this episode. That's all for now. Join us again next time for another 80s Flick Flashback.